Um, let's, uh, let's get started with that message this morning for our Easter Sunday. And again, I love that old tradition in churches all over the world where we proclaim to each other, uh, he is risen, he is risen indeed. So will you say that with me? He is risen. Did you hear the, those guys? They, they were slow on the draw. Let's try one more time. You guys do it out loud at home too. He is risen. He's risen indeed, right? Now, remember, just to kind of catch you up in the story, if you're not a part of a, a church even, uh, maybe you don't quite know all the story. You have maybe some ideas. And, and so um, Jesus was crucified. He went to the cross on a Friday. And Jesus uh, was dead. I mean, he was dead. It was over. They were pretty sure that their dream of a Messiah, their dream of having um, what they had hoped for in Jesus was done. So the disciples, his followers, uh, his closest friends, they were devastated. But not only were they devastated, they were also in fear because as followers of Jesus, they were associated with Jesus and they could easily be executed as well. So they're hiding out. And I just want to read a part of the resurrection story with that in mind. Like, again, they're afraid. And Mark 16 tells us this. Saturday evening, when the Sabbath ended, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome went um, to purchase burial spices so they could anoint Jesus' body. Very early on Sunday morning, just after sunrise, they went to the tomb. And on their way to the tomb, they were asking each other, who will roll away the stone for us at the entrance to the tomb? Verse 4 says, when they arrived, they looked up and saw that the stone, which was very large, had already been rolled aside. Then they entered the tomb and saw a young man, in other gospels it says an angel, clothed in a white robe sitting on the right side. And the women were shocked. But the angel said, so now we know it's an angel, right? The angel said, don't be alarmed. You're looking for Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He isn't here. He has risen from the dead. Look, this is where they laid his body. Now go and tell his other disciples, including Peter, because if you remember the story, Peter had denied Jesus and really messed this up. Tell the other disciples, including Peter, that Jesus is going ahead of you to Galilee. You'll see him there just as he told you before he died. Now, I encourage you guys this week, um, and probably even today, right? Just read the rest of this incredible story today where Jesus appears to them multiple times before they finally get it, that, that Jesus actually rose from the dead. It was the last thing they expected because even though he had told them this was going to happen, they were like, yeah, 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 that must be one of those mysterious Jesus is talking in code things. Uh, sure, sure, Jesus, you're going you're gonna to get killed and yeah, okay, right. Uh, and then you're going to rise again? Okay, whatever, Jesus, cool. And uh, then they probably asked a bunch of other questions. So they forgot by the time this happened, and they were in such grief that it didn't occur to any of them that Jesus was going to rise from the dead. So even though he had told them, <laughs> they were surprised. So Easter is the day that we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus, that's the purpose of Sunday Easter morning. Uh, some places we call it Resurrection Sunday. And so my question this morning is, okay, well, then so what? So Jesus rose from the dead. What does it matter? 
um, to say that Jesus rose again. And I could go into some explanation and some apologetics, and we did a little bit of that um, last Easter, where we talked about some of the actual proofs of the resurrection that weren't just based on scripture, but, but based on history and some other pieces as well. Uh, but this year, I, I, instead of focusing in on that piece, I do want to talk about um, how I think a lot of us as Christians maybe lose track of the importance of the resurrection. Like, I know for me, that uh, for many years, I kind of thought that the resurrection was really cool, but really the main event was the cross and death of Christ. Uh, but then verses like this that are going to be on the screen here in a moment, a verse like this in 1 Corinthians 15, chapter 15, verse 14, uh, Paul writes this. He says, if Christ has not been raised, if it wasn't resurrected, then our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. So even just right there, it's like, wow, okay. So I'd say here that the resurrection really does matter, doesn't it? And what helped me understand why it was so crucial was to actually step back and take a look at the larger story of history, the larger story of God, and, and the story that you and I find ourselves in. Like this story that you and I are in has been going on from eternity past, and the story of God that you and I are also a part of, um, we find ourselves in this story that is both a love story and it is a story of battle. Like it's a, a battle between good and evil, a cosmic battle, and it's a love story. It's both. And the resurrection really is the turning point, the key moment in that story of the battle, the cosmic battle. See, the whole world, the whole human race had been under the power, the Bible says, under the power of the evil one before Jesus set us free. Before he ransomed us, we were enslaved to the powers of this world. We were slaves to sin. But, but I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit. I want to summarize this story that we live in, the story of, of how it is that the human race came to actually need what it was that Jesus brought why it was that we needed Jesus to come, for him to live, to, to die, for Jesus to rise from the dead. Why did we need Jesus in the story? And I'm going to summarize a lot of this story. I'm going to fly through it, uh, so hang with me. We could take weeks and unpack this. Um, but as we think about the story, we think back to what we would recognize as the beginning. And this story that we find ourselves in, it begins as all the epic stories that we love begin, it begins in a way of saying, once upon a time, right? All the stories we love, these classic stories, once upon a time, right? Um, John chapter one, verse one says it this way, a different way of saying, I believe once upon a time. In the beginning was the word, it's talking about Jesus, and the word was with God, and the word, Jesus, was God. And John goes on to explain that. But, but we're looking at the real in the beginning. This is not that Genesis 1-1 in the beginning at the beginning of the Bible. No, this goes beyond the beginning of the creation of heaven and earth. And we think about this, that God existed in eternity past. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, perfect community, trinity of love. And who knows how long of an eternity that went on before God, who is love, desired to create, to invite other characters into the story because he is love. And so at some point, God creates angels. Let me pause for just a second. You ever notice 
how every story that we love uh, has a villain. I mean, you think of just even some of the classics, right? You got the Wicked Witch of the West. Um, you guys think of any in the room here? We got the Big Bad Wolf. Um, the Joker, right? Uh, Voldemort, you got, um, uh, who's the guy in Braveheart? Edward Longshanks. Um, who's the bad guys in uh, Star Wars? We got Darth Vader. Anybody else you can think of? You guys are all my age, so you don't know, right? Yeah. And Noah should be throwing some out here, but no, he's not participating. But, but every great story that we love, these classic epic stories, they all have a villain. You ever wonder why they all have a villain? See, it's because your story does. Uh, your story has a villain. And so this next part of the story explains where that villain came from. See, we have no clue in the length of the story how long it was between when God created the angels and the point in the story where finally Lucifer, one of the chief angels, rebels, leads a revolt against God, somehow convincing one-third of the angels to join him in this re rebellion. Uh, but he is crushed. Uh, God banishes him, best we can tell from the fragments that talk about it in Scripture. He banishes him, sending him down to what we call planet Earth. And who knows how long, right? That the Earth was formless and void, and the enemy, Lucifer, Satan, was banished here on planet Earth. And at some point... God then later just creates humans. He creates male and female. He creates us in his image. So this God who is love, out of love, creates the characters we know as Adam and Eve. Now, can you imagine uh, watching from wherever the, the, the devil and the other demons and foul spirits, how angry and infuriated they were about this, that God creates a beloved but at some point, they must have seen that there was an opening. This actually created an opportunity for them. See, Satan knows that he cannot defeat God, but he can strike at the heart of God by attacking God's beloved, can't he? So Satan devises a plan, and what we learn in Genesis is that he tempts Adam and Eve to sin by disobeying God when they've been given this beautiful Garden of Eden, and they have fellowship with God. Now, something to know from the biblical story is that Adam and Eve had been given by God authority to rule, to subdue, and fill the earth. And humans were entrusted, we were entrusted by God with authority. Like the earth was God's gift to you and I, but he creates options in there because for love to be loved, there has to be a choice. And so he didn't just throw the, you know, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in there because he wanted to you know, prove they'd be obedient. No, he, he needed, they needed to have a choice whether or not they would choose to love uh, or go their own way. And at some point, um, we, humankind, through Adam and Eve, uh, we take this gift of the planet given to us by God. We betray the heart of God. Uh, one author says, um, think of it like we slept with God's worst enemy. It's that level of betrayal. And when we choose that kind of sin, we hand it over the authority that we had of this world, we handed it over to the enemy. So now sin and sickness and death enter the story. Our world is fallen. 
But what's amazing is as God addresses Adam and Eve and the serpent, even as he's describing the consequences of this sin and the devastation that's coming because of what they've introduced, um, God does speak to the serpent, to the enemy. And, and he gives what we later learn is the first hint that one day a Messiah will come and deliver them. Genesis 3.15 says, God says to the serpent, and I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head, her offspring, he will crush your head, and you will strike at his heel. <laughs> but he's going to crush your head. Now this passage is seen um, as the first prophecy of the coming of Christ, that one day the Messiah would come and crush the head of the serpent. And so we go all through the Old Testament now, right? We go through these stories where God is shaping a relationship with humans. He's, he calls the Jewish people to be set apart for him. Uh, and it's, it's still a love story, but I would say it's a, it's a drama. It's a soap opera, really, for sure. It's up and down and back and forth and betrayal and walking away. And uh, it, is, it is something. Um, but even through all of that stuff in the Old Testament, so many times God promises to his people, one day there will be a Messiah, one who will come, who will deliver the people from their misery, from their oppression, this Messiah who will set things right. And finally, after thousands of years, Jesus enters the story. Now, I have to believe that when this happened and the enemy took note that Jesus entered the story, he had to be on high alert because now the enemy knows that his authority, his power here um, on earth is going to be challenged. So first thing Satan tries to do, um, many of you are familiar with the story, uh, Satan tries to have Jesus killed as an infant, but he misses. And later... Jesus' ministry begins. Um, Jim actually did a message on this uh, a month or so, month and a half or so ago. Um, there's a temptation. Jesus' ministry is about to begin, and Jesus is tempted by Satan in the wilderness. And Satan often asks Jesus, if, if Jesus will just bow down and worship Satan, uh, he offers Jesus all authority over the kingdoms of this world. Now, take, take note here. If you read that story, Jesus does not dispute this, right? Because Satan did have authority over the kingdoms of the earth. But his temptation did not work on Jesus, and Jesus then begins his ministry. And if you read through the Gospels, read with this lens in mind, because every miracle of Jesus, every, every healing, every deliverance, was Jesus taking background from the kingdom of Satan for the kingdom of God, Make no mistake, all the miracles he did were out of compassion and love for people, but this was a battle being fought still. And can you imagine, again, how furious Satan was? Well, he didn't, try, he didn't give up trying to kill Jesus and, and get rid of Jesus, and so many different ways things happened, and Jesus always would slip away. And then we fast forward about three years from the temptation of Christ uh, to what we call Holy Week, this last week, Palm Sunday would have been last Sunday. I picture it again. The, the crowds, as Jesus enters Jerusalem, the, the crowds are going wild. They're shouting, Hosanna. They are shouting, you are the king, Jesus. We want to follow you as the king. Come and make things right. Hosanna to Jesus. But it was fake praise, really. It was fake praise because um, the enemy was already on the prowl. 
looking for an opening where he could attack Jesus. And I'm guessing that the enemy um, probably thought that he, that he had Jesus just walked right into a trap. Uh, later in the week, Thursday, Jesus is betrayed. Um, Judas is, is one of the weak links. Uh, his, one of Jesus' closest friends um, was the one that the enemy figured he could exploit to get at the heart of God, to attack Jesus, maybe even get even with God. So the enemy starts messing with Ju- Judas. And on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he ends up going to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray. And Jesus sweat drops of blood. He was in so much anguish. And I have to think, I think it was um, um, the movie The Passion that, that kind of had this creepy scene where Jesus was in the garden and you could see the enemy observing this. And I, I think that something like that could have happened because the enemy just thought, I have got him. Like, Jesus is so stressed out. He must know that God's not coming to save him from this. Like, God's not going to help. God's not going to interfere. The enemy had to think, perfect, I have Jesus right where I want him in this battle. I am going to win this war. And then Judas shows up in the garden, betrays Jesus, has soldiers along who arrest Jesus. And Jesus, who could have fought them, he finally could have fought them, he doesn't. And again, the enemy had to be thinking, <laughs> he does miracles, but he won't even defend himself? This is too easy, like a, like a lamb being led to the slaughter. So Jesus is arrested, he's put on trial, a mock trial, He's beaten within an inch of his life. And the same fickle crowd that shouted, Hosanna on Sunday, on Friday, shouted, crucify him. See, though Jesus could have used his power to overcome those who were torturing him at any moment, he could have snapped and said, that's enough. He could have called 10,000 angels to destroy the world, set him free, but he chooses instead to willingly be sacrificed. He knows he's in this cosmic battle, and this is an act of love and an act of war. And Jesus allows himself to be nailed to a cross, and he dies. And I have to think again for a moment, (laughs) at least for a moment, Satan had to be celebrating, thinking that he won. He had beaten God like Jesus, the son of God, is dead. Now, what I'm about to say next, um, not every theologian agrees with what happens in the afterlife. uh, But from scripture, we can put this together, that um, before Jesus came and changed what the realm of the afterlife looked like, up until that place um, where people died, it was believed that they went to what um, the Bible actually calls Hades. Some translations say the word hell, um, but that's not an actually the actu- accurate translation, and the idea of hell doesn't uh, get implemented till much later at this point in the biblical story. So Hades was kind of as best as we can interpret from the things that are talked about in, in, in Scripture. Hades was kind of this in-between place for souls. Uh, And apparently there were two divisions, at least, that we know of. Um, Those who loved God uh, went to paradise. Uh, For instance, Jesus said to the thief on the cross, uh, today you will be with me in paradise. Uh, In another place, there's a parable of a poor man named Lazarus, 
and a rich man. And the poor man in that parable goes to paradise when he dies. But in that same parable, we learn that the rich man who uh, did not have anything to do with God and really lived for himself that was in a miserable place. Uh, so there's a place uh, that in Hades was also miserable um, from what the parable of the rich man and Lazarus tells us. Either way, whether you were a follower of God or not, the idea was when someone died, death had won. Death had won. Like, remember, this world was not supposed to be this way. Uh, this is not supposed to be a world with, with death and sin, with disease, with viruses, with people dying, with cancer. This world was not supposed to be this way. We were not created by God to endure the kinds of things that sin and death have brought to our world. But Jesus was fighting a battle to come against that. See, because of the sin of Adam and Eve way back then, the enemy was given that authority over the realm of the earth. And apparently, it seems that the enemy had some influence over the souls that were held captive. So uh, whether you die and you're in paradise or the other part of Hades, um, the enemy had the keys of hell and Hades, hell and the grave, depending on your translation. So Jesus dies. Like all other humans, his body dies. His soul, I guess, would probably go to paradise. Um, by the way, I don't think Jesus went and like, had to duke it out with the enemy. All he had to do is show up, <laughs> and it was over, right? It was over. And so Jesus would have gone, my guess again, what we can infer from the story is that he shows up in Hades, except unlike every other human up to this point, Jesus had lived a perfect, sinless life. So when he shows up, death and sin have no claim on Jesus. And so the Bible tells us that Jesus takes back the keys of death and hell from the enemy and he crushes, remember the Genesis passage, he crushes the head of the devil in this moment. See, Jesus willingly gave his life. He even says so in the Gospels, I give my life willingly no one takes it from me i give it willingly because jesus was the perfect and final sacrifice see our sins now can be forgiven not because we offer the right sacrifices to make things right but because jesus was the final and perfect sacrifice once and for all to cover sins past present and future so our sins are forgiven and Jesus could have just stopped right there, right? Hey, the sacrifice is made. We're all good, right? But he doesn't stop there. He doesn't stop with being dead. <laughs> he does the unexpected. He rises again. And what happened when Jesus rose again was that he broke the power of death. When Jesus rose again, he shows that love and life are more powerful than death. See, death could not hold Jesus. He comes back to life. Satan thought he'd won, but the devil overplayed his hand on this one. And the enemy has now lost his grip, and Jesus has all authority. Jesus announces it that way in Matthew 28, after he has come back to life and he's with his disciples. Matthew 28 opens with the line, uh, Matthew 28 verse 18 says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. 
Remember, the devil had all authority on earth. Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. See, the resurrection of Jesus, it matters because it means that Satan has been overthrown and that death no longer wins. Like, life is victorious. And we've been ransomed by Jesus. Life wins. And Jesus has all, all authority. Now, um, Someone at church here asked a great question, and I kind of got on this, and I actually had a whole message written on this other thing, but we're just going to do a couple minutes. Because, um, yeah, because that's what we're going to do. Yeah. Um, somebody asked a great question, uh, and, and you kind of have to piece scriptures together to answer it. But, but what did Jesus do between dying on Good Friday and his resurrection? What, would he, what was he doing on Saturday? And again, theologians have different ideas about this. So I always say, let's just go back to the text and see what it says. And Colossians chapter 2 gives us a clue. Uh, And it actually describes the cross and the resurrection. Um, And so let's just look at a few of those verses in Colossians chapter 2. Check this out. And this is actually from the Passion Translation, which I love. Um, They only have the New Testament and I think Psalms and Proverbs. But the Passion Translation, verse 12 says... We've been buried with him unto death. Our baptism into death also means that we were raised with him when we believed in God's resurrection power, the power that raised him from death's realm. So when we say yes to Jesus, right, we also get raised to life. We are no longer under the penalty of death, eternal death, and under the grip of the enemy. Verse 13, verse 13, this realm of death he says, describes our former state because we were held in sin's grasp. But now we have been resurrected out of that realm of death, never to return, for we are forever alive and forgiven of all our sins. Verse 14, he canceled every legal violation we had on our record and the old arrest warrant that stood to indict us. He erased it all, our sins, our stained soul. He deleted it all and they cannot be retrieved. Everything we once were in Adam has been placed into the cross and nailed permanently there as a public display of cancellation. So again, so just for a second, like the scripture here, the apostle Paul saying, on the cross, our sins were nailed to the cross. They were erased. We're forgiven. We are free. And so here, I love this verse, right? Um, here's what happened. You wonder what happened between Jesus' death and his resurrection. What do you do on, what do you do on Saturday, right? Well, this is a pretty good clue. Verse 15 says, Then Jesus made a public spectacle of the powers and principalities of darkness, stripping away from them every weapon and all their spiritual authority and power to accuse us. And by the power of the cross, Jesus led them around as prisoners in a procession of triumph. He was not their prisoner. They were his. Now, the language that the Apostle Paul uses here is really powerful because they were a vanquished people in that day. And so they knew what this looked like. In ancient times, when a king or a kingdom were defeated or a tribe was beaten, then the winning side, in this case, a lot of times the Romans, would humiliate the losers by stripping them down naked, especially if it was a king or a priest, a prince or a priest, uh, the generals, any military leaders, any of their warriors, they'd strip them naked, they would chain them together like slaves, and then they would parade them through their own streets from place to place announcing their defeat, just to disgrace them. And it was humiliating. 
And so that's the picture that Paul has in mind, I believe, here. Because in the spiritual realm, Jesus makes an open show of the powers of evil. And he not only defeated the foul spirits and the demonic forces, but he shows his authority and he exposes them for the frauds that they really were. Their power is now gone and Jesus has all authority. See, Jesus took back the keys of death and the grave. And then, Sunday, he rises from the dead. Revelation 1.18, Jesus says this, I am the living one. I was dead, and now, look, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. See, the resurrection is proof that Jesus has all authority. Jesus is stronger than death. Even death can't hold Jesus. And friends, death does not have the last word over you either. It doesn't. Now, listen, that's all great news, and it sounds like, like spiritual stuff to put up in our head and, and hope to be true. But there's got to be a question that arises in us because we live in a fallen world still, and if Jesus has won the battle, then why is there still disease? Why is there suffering, and why is there the pandemic? And I was going to just kind of blow by this, and I thought, I just, you know how we roll here at Hope, right? We don't, we don't want to just kind of fluff past something. Um, we want to look at some of the hard stuff. Because Jesus did win, he has all authority, and yet we see this world and go, well, what's the deal? What's going on? First Peter, there's a lot of places that explain this, but First Peter chapter 5, verse 8, uh, on the screen says this. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Uh, this is such a paradox in Scripture because although Jesus has won, although he now has all authority in heaven and on earth, uh, there is still a need to pay attention. Some people say, well, you know, the devil's just a toothless lion, um, can't do anything, uh, have any influence. Well, well, that's actually not what Scripture says. Peter here is saying, be alert, like pay attention. The enemy is prowling around. So there is some damage that the enemy still does, and evidently all you have to do is look around at the world around us to see that there is still the influence of evil and the fall and the enemy. So which is it? See, this is one of the great paradoxes in Scripture. The kingdom of God is both already present and not yet fully activated. You've heard Jim and I and others maybe use that phrase, the kingdom of God is both already and not yet. Already and not yet. Jesus has won. His kingdom is now in authority. But there are still battles that we're involved in. The enemy still prowls around and attacks and does damage. I think it was... Um, Greg Boyd and John Eldridge and probably some others that I've read who have a great analogy for how this already and not yet reality works. Uh, they say it's like World War II. Um, and near the end of World War II, there was D-Day and then there was V-Day, Victory Day. Uh, D-Day was where the invasion of Normandy happened. The tide of World War II was turned. The war would surely at that point be won by the allies the outcome was inevitable that was d-day it was already won but 
not yet already, but not yet because V-Day, Victory Day, would happen less than a year later. But some of the battles still had to be fought. Just like D-Day to Victory Day. Make no mistake, the outcome in our story also is not in doubt. See, Jesus has won. The enemy has no chance. But he will keep prowling. He will keep swiping, attacking, looking to devour. We live in a fallen world. So friends, the kingdom of God, the rule of God is already, but not yet. And one day all will be made right. And the kingdom of God will be in full operation one day. Jesus already made sure of it. And you know, thinking of Jesus here, you know, every story, every classic story has a, has a villain, true, but do you ever wonder why every classic story that we love also has a hero, right? So back to Wizard of Oz, there's Dorothy. Lord of the Rings, you got Frodo and Aragon. Star Wars is Luke Skywalker, a whole host of others. Braveheart, you got William Wallace. There's so many heroes, but every story that we love has a hero. Do you want to know why? Because yours does, too. See, Jesus is the hero of the story, and Jesus is the hero of your story. He rose from the dead to bring life to things that look impossibly dead. No longer are we under the control of Satan. Jesus has rescued us from the evil one. And though we live between D-Day and V-Day, there is still suffering, right? Pain, virus, there's death. But no matter what the enemy throws at you and me, even death, ultimately all will be well because the outcome is settled. See, friends, the resurrection of, of Jesus, it's not just like, oh, let's have some vague kind of hope. Um, it's, it's more than just, oh, we get to have life after death. Those things are great. But Jesus has won the authority back over this world See, his resurrection is it's the only reason that 200, or sorry, 2,000 years after the Roman government crucified Jesus, Christians, which is a name that means little Christ, Christians number in the billions, while the best Rome can do is little Caesar, like the name of a pizza chain, right? That's some legacy there. But the resurrection of Jesus matters because life matters. Like, like, like death does not get the last word. See, in Jesus, the power of resurrection life came into being. And the resurrection of Jesus means that the already not yet places in your life don't have the last word. The resurrection of Jesus means that the places of pain and disease, of sickness and death in your life and in your world, yes, they're real. But they do not have the last word in your life. Friends, divorce does not have the last word. I'm living proof of that. Sin does not have the last word. We all struggle, but because of the life of Jesus, sin does not have the last word. Depression does not have the last word. Despair does not have the last word. And because of the resurrection life of Jesus, friends, disease and virus and pandemics do not have the last word. See, every time that someone repents and gets forgiven... And maybe today, that will be the day for some of you to choose to follow Jesus. But every time that happens, we see the power of the resurrection life of Jesus. Every time an addict 
steps out of their secret shadows and gets real. They come out of hiding and they get help. Every time that happens, we see Jesus bringing resurrection life. Every time racial reconciliation happens, every time that happens, we see the power of resurrection life of Jesus in action. Every time somebody who's been even tightly gripping their money gets generous, that's the power of the resurrection life of Jesus in action. Every time a parent who's neglected their child has a change of heart, every time that happens, that's, that's resurrection life, folks. Every time a marriage gets healed, every time, that's resurrection life of Jesus' power, friends. When we're willing to step out of our hiding and our fear and control and self-protection and be vulnerable, every time that happens, that's evidence of Jesus' resurrection life. See, Jesus rose again, but it didn't stop there because his life is still happening in us and through us. It's happening through us when we serve our neighbors. It's happening through us when we, when we go down to Mexico, which that trip will get rescheduled, and we, we go down to Mexico and we build a house, we build a home for a family in need. When we do that, that brings life to those communities. When we go to the Navajo Reservation, that brings the resurrection life of Jesus to those communities. When you and I love the person next to us or love someone in our our city, friends, it's evidence that Jesus still gives life to our broken world and to our broken hearts. See, the power of his life is offered to each and every one of us. And here's the deal, that can happen right now, today, for you. You, if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, you can step into and receive his gift of life today. And after we play a song, I'm going to walk you through that. But I want you to be thinking about that. If you've not yet given your life to Christ, or if you have walked away from Jesus, today's a great day to begin to follow him. I'm not trying to get you to join a church. I'm inviting you to follow this Jesus who's been resurrected. And while that's not a magic wand that's going to heal every struggle or hurt or sickness, the forgiveness of God, friends, will wipe clean the state of your sin and your slate will be clean. The love of God will fill the empty place in your heart. The spirit of God will come and live in you right here, right now. His resurrection life will fill you if you only ask. And so as we sing uh, this song about the power of God and, and what happened uh, when, Jesus, <laughs> when Jesus had his victory, I want those of you that are not yet followers of Jesus or who have walked away from God, I want you to be thinking about this because in a moment when this song's over, I'm going to invite you to consider giving your life to Christ and to pray with us. stars they wept the morning sun was dead the savior of the world was fallen his body on the cross his blood poured out for us the weight of every curse upon
final breath he gave was heaven looked away the son of God was laid in darkness a battle in the grave the war on death was waged the power of hell forever broken the ground began to shake stone was rolled away His perfect love could not be overcome Now death, where is your sting? Our resurrected King has rendered you
It's a perfect day for giving your life to Jesus. If you are not yet a follower of Christ and, and maybe you just tuned on today because somebody asked you to or invited you to and, and you're not even sure, you're not sure about any of this, but I don't think it's a, an accident that, that you've tuned in today. And so I'm gonna pray a prayer and, and some of you know that, that this is the time, this is the time in your life. You, maybe you've been waiting or you know that God's been wanting to call you to follow him, and he is calling you now. And if you've not yet met the resurrected Jesus, he's just a prayer away. And in a moment here, I'm going to pray, and and you can just pray right where you are, wherever you're watching from, whether you're watching with us live or you're watching this later. Um, But I want to encourage you to pray it out loud Um, And I'm going to lead you in a prayer just to give your heart, to give your life to Jesus. So, Jesus, thank you for guiding the steps of my journey to this decision today. I see, I see, God, you are my only hope, so I choose you. I turn from my sin, and I choose you. I choose to trust you, Jesus, as my only hope. I give myself to you. And I thank you, Jesus, for the life that you offer me. Forgive me, Jesus. I want to follow you. Amen. Listen, if you prayed that prayer, would you shoot us an email? You can email me, Doug, at hopecove.com. Uh, you can email Pastor Jim, uh, jim at hopecove.com. You could um, email for any reason at all. You could email prayer. If you want prayer for anything, any of you at all, um, just email prayer at hopecove.com. And we would love, we would love to be able to pray for you, to start a conversation with you, uh, to even walk with you. But especially if you gave your heart to Jesus today, um, we would love, love, love to hear from you. And if, you, or if you're brave enough, put it in the comments too. We'll be reading all those shortly. Uh, God bless you. Hope family and everybody who's worshiped with us today, um, we are so grateful that you chose to spend your morning celebrating with us the resurrection life of Jesus who gave himself to ransom us, to free us so that we could enter into life to the full. God bless you all through your week and I bless you in the name of the Father and the Son and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Love you guys.